Hey everybody, welcome to the Active Church Podcast. My name is Joe and I'm part of the team here. And I wanna tell you that we believe you can tell a better story. We design content with you in mind and today you're gonna to be hearing a great message about how you can take one more step in following Jesus. Every single Sunday, join us 9 a.m. and 1045 in the room. Let's get into our message of hope today. Happy, happy Thanksgiving and Merry Christmas. I can officially say that to you today because I know that for some of you, if you say Merry Christmas before you say Happy Thanksgiving and before Thanksgiving is over, you, you get really violent. Uh, you get really aggressive. There are some of you in this place that are Thanksgiving Avengers, right? Like you protect Thanksgiving and that's okay. I love Thanksgiving. And then there are the rest of us who are Christmas fanatics. So if you are Thanksgiving Avengers, we love you. But those of us that are Christmas fanatics that start decorating like the day after Halloween, there's another name for us. We are called, well, Christians. That's what we are called. And we just love the birth of Jesus. And we celebrate Thanksgiving on that Thursday. And then the rest of the time, it's two months of Christmas. But I'm so thankful for you. And I'm so thankful that we can celebrate this season of Christmas together. Christmas is supposed to be a season of joy. We sing about it in some of our favorite songs that are on the radio, on Spotify, even in this room or online. We sing about it in our, our worship songs, some of the Christmas carols that we love. Christmas is supposed to be a season of joy. We watch it come alive in some of our favorite Christmas movies, like Elf or the Christmas Story, or Home Alone, or Home Alone Part 2, but not Part 3, because that one's stupid. But, you know, the Santa Claus, or any of the other Christmas movies. Maybe you're a National Lampoon's Christmas vacation favorite, right? And you need to repent. But um, we see it come alive in some of our favorite Christmas shows and movies. Christmas is supposed to be a season of joy. We see this joy become reality in the traditions that we participate in. Maybe it's about where you go on Christmas Eve or on Christmas Day. Maybe it's about what you eat on Christmas Eve or on Christmas Day. Maybe it's found in how you exchange gifts. When you were a kid, you hated waiting, but now that you're an adult, you love that anticipation and that moment. Maybe it's about who is around the table with you those traditions, those moments, it's the right house with the right people. There's something that comes alive in those moments. Christmas is supposed to be a season of joy. And if we're honest, for a lot of us, this season doesn't always feel so joyful. Now, I know that it gets introduced in the scriptures as good news of great joy for all people. And that doesn't mean that if we're not experiencing it, that that good news of great joy isn't joyful. It just means that there's something in us, there's something happening around us, there's something, something happening to us that's causing us to miss or to be distracted or to not experience or see or even feel the joy that is found at Christmas. You see, for some of us, it's not a joyful season because of what happened a few years ago. For others of us, Christmas is not a joyful season 
because of what was and what isn't anymore. And for some of us, Christmas isn't a joyful season because of what could be rather than what is reality and is happening right now. And again, that doesn't mean that there isn't joy at Christmas. It doesn't mean that the message that is announced at Christmas isn't a joyful message. It just means that we aren't seeing it or experiencing it or feeling it. And the question that we are wrestling with in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls is, is there joy at all? Not just at Christmas time, but is there joy for me at all? Have you been there? Have you experienced that? Maybe you're there now and you're experiencing this right now. And we have a few ways that we actually get through this season when we're not feeling joy, seeing joy, experiencing joy. We do one of three things. The first thing that we do is we pretend. We pretend that we have joy because it's Christmas time and you're supposed to have joy. So we walk around going, whoa, Christmas, right? And we are not wanting to get in the way of anybody else's joy. We're not wanting to squash or put a lid on anybody else's joy, but we're just not seeing it, feeling it and experiencing it. So it's, woo, Christmas for us. We pretend. Or, or we get annoyed. We get annoyed with the people that walk around going, woo, Christmas. So I'm probably really annoying to some of you this morning because I'm that type of person when it comes to Christmas. But we get annoyed and we don't want to be mean. We don't want to be nasty. We're just annoyed because we're not seeing, feeling, or experiencing joy. Or we do a third thing. We just, we just get through this season. Because we love our family. We love the home that we're in. We, we love those that are around us. And so we do the best that we can to celebrate this season. Even though we're not seeing it, feeling it, or experiencing it. We're just hoping that it would be all over soon and we can move on to the next season. Truth is, for a lot of us, joy feels really elusive, doesn't it? Feels like it's just out of our reach. And the reason why is because maybe life for you, for us, feels a bit messy, feels really difficult. Maybe you're feeling really lonely or angry or feeling real sad. And the question you wrestle with that a lot of us are wrestling with, we may not say out loud, but the question we wrestle with is how, how do I live with joy when I feel so bad? How, how do I live in this rhythm of joy when it doesn't feel joyful at all? Like, is joy really available to me and, and for me? These are the questions that we want to wrestle with over the next few weeks as we talk about how there is joy at Christmas time. And we talk about how you and I can live with joy, even if we're not seeing it and feeling it and experiencing it. How we can walk with joy, even if we're not seeing it and feeling it and experiencing it. But today I want to answer the most important question. The one that I think a lot of us are wrestling through, even when it's not Christmas time. And the question that I want to wrestle through today is this, where do we find joy? Like, where is it? 
Can we locate it? Does somebody have a GPS? Does somebody have maps on their phone? Can we, can we get there because we want to experience it, right? And today, I want to answer that question by telling you the story, the true story in the scriptures about a man named Simeon. Simeon lived in a world that was very similar to our world. He struggled with a lot of the things that we struggle with, wrestled with a lot of the tensions that we are feeling in our world today. And yet he was someone that lived with joy. And I want to take you into his story, give you some context for his world. I want you to feel what he felt, see what he saw. And then together, I want us to experience what he experienced. And that's the joy and really where he found joy. So if you have a Bible with you or you have access to the Bible app, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew's letter in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And if you didn't bring any of that, or if you're watching online, the verses will be on the screen for you. But Matthew is a follower of Jesus, and he was a tax collector before he started following Jesus. So he was good with numbers, but specifically good with information. And this letter that he writes is a letter filled with information about Jesus. And he spends a lot of time talking about the birth of Jesus, talking about the first moments in the life of Jesus and letting us know what happened that first Christmas. In fact, Matthew does a lot of that and Luke, and we'll be there in just a moment, but Luke does that as well. But Matthew, in his letter, gives us some context to the world during the time of Jesus, gives us context to the world that Simeon lived in. And in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, we read these words. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. I want to pause real quick and just affirm something that we just read. Often we'll read through those details and we'll skip past them. But I want you to know, especially if you're somebody who's a skeptic of the story of Jesus or a skeptic of the scriptures, there are writings in the scriptures that are intentionally, that are intentionally listed, that are intentionally written to help us understand that this isn't a once upon a time story. That this isn't a wish upon a, a star story. That this isn't fiction. Matthew's when he's writing this, he's saying when Jesus was born, by the way, he was born in Bethlehem, which was in Judea in the days of Herod the king. What Matthew is saying is, is if you struggle with believing this, you can fact check me. Google it is what Matthew is saying here before Google was even invented. He's like, look it up, friends. This isn't a once upon a time story. This really happened. Jesus was a real person who really died and his tomb is really empty. This is historically accurate. And let me take you to a moment that actually happened. And he says in verse one that there were wise men coming from the east to Jerusalem and they were saying, verse two, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Now Herod was appointed the ruler or the king of all of the Jewish people in this particular area by Rome, who was the nation that was in charge of almost the entire Eastern world during that time. And Herod was raised in Jewish customs. He understood the Jewish traditions, but he was detested 
by the Jewish people because of the way that he would rule over them. He was very domineering. He was a tyrant. And because he was raised in the ways of the Jewish people, he was raised in a home that taught him about the Torah and the Talmud and how everything worked and functioned and the sacrifices and what God is and what God does. Because he was aware of that, he was also aware of this belief that God was going to send a king. And the way that they talked about this king was very significant. They gave him a name. They called him the Messiah, the Savior. Herod was aware of that, which is why he was unsettled by these questions that the wise men were bringing to him. And it influenced what happened next in verse 7. Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come to worship him. Herod was a very insecure leader. Why is it, by the way, that most of the leaders that we see in charge have this insecurity about them? And they cover it up in maybe bullying sort of ways or tyrannical sort of ways. The greatest leaders that we have learned, and Pastor Joe talked about this last week, are those that lead with humility. And yet Herod was so afraid of losing two specific things, losing his power and losing his money, his wealth. Those were the two things that he prioritized in his life. And so when he heard about the Messiah, another king, he considered that a threat And because of that threat, Herod did what any tyrannical king would do. He decided that he was going to remove that threat. And somewhere in the story, we learn that the wise men become wise. See what I did there? They become wise about what Herod's motivations and intentions really are. So they actually don't go back and tell Herod where Jesus is. And this this infuriated him. And Matthew tells us in verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all of the male children in Bethlehem and in all of the region who were two years old or under. Pause for a moment. Do you remember your mom and dad or your grandparents, or those that raised you, when they told you the Christmas story? Do you remember the part about when all of the young two-year-old and under children were murdered? Do you remember that part of the story? You don't, do you? Because we don't talk about that. We don't engage in that piece of the story. When we watched Charlie Brown Christmas and Linus walks out and drops his blanket and says, lights, please. He shares from Luke chapter two about how in those days, 
a census would be taken. And he begins to share with us from the words that Luke wrote down about what happened that first Christmas night. But never is there a moment where he goes, and then there was this moment where Herod, the great king during that time, decided to murder all of the young children in that area and in the region. You know, we sing about Silent Night and we sing songs called Oh Holy Night. But there aren't any songs at Christmas time about evil, about threats, or even about death or murder. And to all of us, we're like, we're, we're, we're grateful for that, Mike. We, we don't want that during Christmas time because Christmas is good news of great joy for all people. But yet in the midst of all of that, there was pain, and sorrow, and heartbreak. We just saw parents, grandparents, friends, and family stand on stage with their kids. And these kids are precious to us, but even more precious to the moms and dads and families that stood here on stage saying, we want to raise our kids to meet Jesus and learn to follow Jesus. We want them to ask the question, what does love require of us? That's what we want. And it's a precious, powerful moment. Lots of pictures, lots of smiling, really beautiful. And when you think about this moment, and then you read about what Herod did in that moment about how young innocent children were taken because of the rage and the anger and the jealousy and the insecurity of a king. Whew. Does that just hit you? This is what they lived in during that first Christmas. This this is how the world was. Do you see how this world is very similar to ours? Great pain and sorrow and loss. And I have to wonder if maybe, maybe they pretended or got annoyed or just tried to get through it because it didn't feel like a joyful season. I, I wonder when the birth of Jesus was celebrated by the followers of Jesus, I'd have to imagine that some of these men and women, these moms and dads came to know Jesus. And perhaps it was 30, 40 years later after the resurrection of Jesus, that they would celebrate the birth of Jesus during this time called Christmas time. And as much as they would celebrate that birth, they would be reminded of the pain, the sorrow and the death of, of innocent children. And yet we also know, because we know the story of Jesus, about how an innocent Jesus died for the guilty people that fell into sin so that they may have forgiveness in life. Do you, do you feel this? Do you, do you see what it was like? Maybe you don't have to go very far to feel this because you feel it right now. This is just one of the examples of what the Jewish people had to go through. Often, they were more victims than victorious. And perhaps they asked the same questions we asked. Where do we find joy? 
in all of this? I wonder if Simeon asked that question. I wonder if he was somebody that was wrestling with this tension. His story is interesting. It's, it's the epitome of a better story. And Luke actually tells us a bit about the real person named Simeon. In Luke chapter 2, verse 25, we read these words. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation is another word for the comfort of Israel. That, that all of their sorrows would be met in a healing word and in a healing hand of the God who is for them. That all of their pain would find purpose because of the God who is with them and for them. That God would hear their cry and that they would experience joy again. And it's in this moment that we begin to see where joy actually comes from. More on that in a moment, but let's continue in verse 26. It had been revealed to him, Simeon, by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And because of this, every day he would go into the temple courts and wait. Now, Jewish tradition was whenever you would have a child, that the mother and the father would bring the child to the temple courts. Because mamas, you know, that the birthing process is not this comforting, clean, satisfying process, right? But what you also know is that from pain comes incredible purpose. Because even though it is uncomfortable for you, and even though it shifts and changes your body, when that baby is born, suddenly all of that becomes worth it. And so they bring this baby to the temple as a part of the Jewish customs and traditions. It was a way to get affirmation from the high priest that you have been made clean after this really messy process, that the husband and the wife would come and stand before the high priest and he would declare over them that God is with them and for them. But it was also a moment where they are reminded that every breath, every life, is a gift. And that when they stand before the high priest, it would be as if they were standing before God and God was blessing them and placing his hands over them and saying, live in this gift that I have given you. This was a part of the purification process, which was why Simeon would go to the temple every day because the promise was that he would see the Messiah before he takes his last breath. And he knew that when this Messiah would come, he would probably be at the temple. And if he was born, the parents would probably have to bring him there. And one day Mary and Joseph go to the temple and they see and meet Simeon. Now we're not told about that interaction, but can we just talk about those interactions for a moment? Mamas, can I just apologize to you for all of the weird awkward people that want to come up and touch your stomach when you're pregnant. Like we wouldn't do this normally in real life, right? 
Like we wouldn't walk up to somebody and maybe they had a really great burrito at lunch and now they've got a burrito baby and we wouldn't walk up and go, mmm, carne asada, right? Like we wouldn't do that. We would get arrested because of that, right? We would keep our hands to ourselves, but for some reason, something happens when you suddenly have a life in your womb, in your belly. Everybody's walls and hurdles and boundaries, they go away and they want to walk up and they want to put their hands on your belly, right? And some of you are gracious. You're like, yay, you can do that. And now you can stop. Others of you are like, don't touch me, right? Like, because you don't want the wrath of a mama. But the truth is, is we, we don't know what happened in this interaction with Simeon. But what we do know is that Luke hints that it's a beautiful moment. And that at some moment, the the trust between Mary and Joseph and Simeon begins to really develop because Luke tells us in verse 28 that Simeon took him, took Jesus in his arms and praised God saying, the sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. God, at some point in Simeon's life had made Simeon a promise that he would see the one that God would send to redeem and rescue and save And this moment comes true for Simeon as he holds the Messiah in his hands. But what's even more powerful about this moment, it actually begins to open our eyes and answer the question where joy actually comes from. And here's the answer, friends. Joy doesn't come from outside of you, but joy comes from within you. Let me explain. Most of our lives are driven by our pursuit of happiness. We eat to be happy. We work to be happy. We exercise to be happy. Some of us are so crazy and so weird that we actually run to be happy, right? We do these things because we're in pursuit of happiness. We live in a country that said that we all deserve to have life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. But could I be very clear with you that happiness is not joy. They are two very different things. Happiness draws its strength from the circumstances around you. When things are good, I'm good. When the food is good, I'm good. When the workout of the day was successful, then I feel successful. But friends, joy finds its strength from the convictions that are within you. And these convictions shape how you will live. They shape how you will eat. They shape how you will work. They shape how you will exercise. They even shape how you will run. These convictions, they shape how you see the world. And more importantly, they shape how you will influence the world around you. 
These convictions answer this really important question, a question that we have to wrestle with in every moment of every day. Maybe we don't consider it on the top of our mind, but it is there deep within us. And this is the question. Will you be a light to your world or will you fight with your world? Here's here's what I mean. Life is hard. I know that that was the most brilliant thing that I've said all morning long, right? You're like, no, duh, we know that. Life is hard and you have a choice in life to be overwhelmed by life or to choose to live a life that is overcoming the things that could overwhelm you. And the difference is found in a life that's choosing to pursue happiness versus a life that holds on to joy. If your life is about happiness, it'll be easily overwhelmed. But if your life is holding on to joy, you will easily overcome. And Simeon is a man of joy because in the midst of great pain and great loss and great sorrow, he held a deep conviction. And the conviction was that everything and everyone was going to be all right. Not because he was naive. Not because he was pretending that things were good. Not because he was choosing to avoid the reality of the world or things in his world. Simeon embraces what is, but he also believes in what could be. And friends, that is joy. Joy holds the belief that we are all going to be just fine that there is a better story that's being told in amongst all of this, that there is something greater than us in amongst all of this great pain. Joy has no shame in believing the best is yet to come, even when things are not the best. And friends, this is the posture of Simeon that first Christmas. But it gets even better because we're not done talking about joy. The question that we have to wrestle with is why did Simeon hold these deeply held soul convictions? Why did he believe in a better future? Why was he confident that everything was gonna be all right? Let me take you back to the verses that we just read. a better future? Why was he confident that everything was going to be all right? Paul writes and says that he works out all things for the good of those who love him, that are called according to his purpose, that we know that this pain will not last forever. We know that this sorrow will not be our story always, but we can trust that there is a God who is at work in amongst all of this mess, in amongst all of this pain, and that there is a better story on the other side of it. And people who live with joy are convicted that that is the story that God is writing in them and through them and around them. Where is joy? It's within you when you trust in the God who is for you, who sent his son to die for you and rise from the grave for you. Joy is found in Jesus, friends. So this Christmas, may you find joy. May you hold it in your hands. May you see it with your eyes. 
And may your joy be found in the one who brings joy to the world. May your joy be found in your knowing and in your following of Jesus. And may the joy that Jesus brings bring help to you to move forward and comfort for you in sorrow and give you hope for a future and be yours every step of the way. So what do we do with this information? I think there are three decisions that immediately rise to the surface today. The first is a decision to trust in Jesus for the very first time or to come back to Jesus for the first time in a long time. And in just a moment, I wanna lead you in a moment where you can just say to God that you wanna come back or you wanna trust in him. The second thing that we can do, and it's probably the most important thing that we can do publicly, is to choose to go public with our faith in Jesus. Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men and women, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. And so baptism is a way that we announce that God is up to something in us privately, personally. And next Sunday is your opportunity to find joy, not happiness, but to find joy that's found in Jesus, that you step into some water and go underneath the water and come up out of the water made new and refreshed because that's what Jesus has done for you on the cross. You stepping into that water is you saying, I acknowledge and surrender to the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus, and I wanna follow him for the rest of my life. It is not your announcement that you are perfect. It's your announcement that a perfect God God is doing a great work in you. So I want to invite you, whether you're here in the room or you're watching online, I want to invite you to be a part of Baptism Sunday next Sunday. If you're here, you can sign up at Guest Central. If you're watching online, you can email us at info at activechurches.com. And then there's a third decision that I, I want you to really consider. When we talk about these heavy, hard things, how things are not what we hoped that they would be, Sometimes it means that we have to face some of the grief that we're, we're dealing with and processing and often we, we just don't know how to do that. And so at Active, in just a couple of weeks, we're launching a, a group that will focus on how to process grief. And we always get really cute with our names. Like we have Active Recovery, which is great. And we thought about like, what we call this group. Active Grief didn't really sound very, very like inviting. So, but this group is, is designed for you as you try to work through all of the things that you're carrying into this season that are getting in the way. Maybe it's the things that you hold in your hand. And starting Wednesday, December 14th on our campus, this grief group will meet for the next five weeks after that, during the holiday season, during Christmas and during the New Year's season so that you can have a place just to lay out what it is that's stirring in your heart and then to find some tools to begin to work through grief because grief never goes away. Grief is something that we have to work through. And often many of you know this, that grief can show up in so many weird and random ways. And so to have a place where you can express that, but also get tools to learn how to walk through that, I think will be really helpful for you. You can actually sign up for this group on our website today, activechurches.com. Click the groups link 
and then you'll see that group available for you. It'll say, email the host. Just click that link and email the host. We would love to have you a part of this group to be able to process all of the loss and the pain and the sorrow so that you can live with joy in a season where there's good news of great joy for all people. Thanks for listening today to the Active Church Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by this message of hope. Stay connected with everything happening around Active on our social media platforms, on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. If you want to know more information about Active Church, check out our website. We hope to see you soon, 9 a.m., 1045, every single Sunday. Thank you.